Well, you know, sometimes my role as your pastor is a really difficult job with lots of suffering. I mean, people get mad at me and they write me strongly worded emails and letters or they say bad things about me. And sometimes I have to make hard calls and some of those are unpopular. And yes, I sometimes suffer as your pastor and that's what I was doing about 10 days ago. Because I'm your lead pastor, Jill and I were required to represent impact at a conference with our friends from the Solomon Foundation. And the Solomon Foundation footed most of the bill, but we had a grueling four-day conference on a cruise ship in the Bahamas. (laughs) I know, right? It was a difficult task, and we gladly endured it on your behalf. It was so difficult that we spent four extra days in Florida to recuperate (laughs) from that cruise. But don't worry, don't worry. We left the 80-degree Florida sunshine on Tuesday morning just in time to come home to eight inches of snow on Wednesday. We timed that right. If ever there was a flight we should have missed, that was it. Well, in seriousness, the conference was very valuable and our time away was also good for us and we are glad to be home and uh, we're excited about what God is doing here. He's definitely on the move in our church and uh, he is doing great things as we gear towards Easter and uh, we're looking forward to hundreds and hundreds of kids being here Saturday for our Easter egg hunt and uh, we're excited about what God is doing. But having joked about our time suffering on a cruise, we're now going to seriously talk about Jesus' suffering on the cross. And we started this series two weekends ago, and we're looking at some of the events from the last hours of Jesus' life, and we're seeing that some of the things that happened during those hours were unexpected by the people surrounding Jesus. Some of Jesus' responses took people completely by surprise. Let me describe where we are in uh, Jesus' last hours. He has already entered Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna, and he has already surprised his followers by washing their feet, and he's already shared in the Last Supper with them, and Judas has already sold him out to the religious leaders who were plotting against him. And in our first message, we talked about the unexpected struggle that Jesus had while praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, trying to decide whether or not he would follow through and do what God wanted him to do. And when he made that hard choice, he was arrested in the garden and all his closest friends ran away. They deserted him. And as Pastor Bill shared with you last weekend, he went through some trials that were rigged against him. And he stood silent during those trials, refusing to defend himself against the lies that were being told. And then he was beaten and he was abused and Then he listened to the same voices that shouted Hosanna on Sunday, scream crucify him on Friday. And then he was condemned to die even though he was innocent of all charges. After that, he was taken to the place of execution, the place we now call Calvary. 
And the place of execution was always a busy place next to a highly traveled road with lots of people around. And Jesus is stripped naked and he's nailed to a cross where he would die a cruel and painful death. And we join the story with Jesus already on the cross. And I want you to notice what Jesus was seeing while he was hanging on the cross in agony. I'll read from Luke 23. I'll start with verse 35. The people stood there watching, and the leaders made fun of Jesus, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's chosen one, the Christ. The soldiers also made fun of him, coming to Jesus and offering him some vinegar. They said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And at the top of the cross, these words were written, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals on the cross began to shout insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. Jesus was in horrible pain. And people around him were mocking him and insulting him. In fact, they were hurling insults at him, according to the passage uh, that we find in Matthew and in Mark. Have you ever had insults hurled at you? I'm betting you have, and it's no fun, is it? Maybe a more personal question. Have you ever hurled insults I'm guessing you have, and so have I, but I have never hurled insults at a dying man. There were, they were hurling insults. They weren't whispering them. They were hurling them, and that is incredible to me. Some people there at the foot of the cross must have thought that it wasn't enough. They must have thought that the horrible beating that Jesus endured that literally ripped the skin from his body, that, that just wasn't enough. They must have thought that being nailed naked to a cross so that he could die there in pain and agony, that, that, that just wasn't quite enough. Some in the crowd actually thought, hey, you know what, let's make it worse for him. Let's make this even more painful for him and for his family by mocking him and by insulting him. What kind of a person mocks a dying man? We've seen it from time to time. I mean, we'll see those people outside of prisons having a party while someone is being executed. And the cheer goes up when they announce that the person has died. But I want you to know it is not a godly person who would mock a dying person under any circumstances. No one with the spirit of Christ would enjoy an execution, but yet the religious leaders of Jesus' day were so cold and so callous that they were leading the celebration they were leading the celebration. Incredible. Can you imagine how all of these insults must have hurt Jesus? Well, you probably can't imagine that. You really don't have to work hard to imagine it, do you? Because you've felt the sting of insults. I mean, someone that you love slaps you with 
cruel words. Or someone says insensitive words that really weren't intended to hurt, but they did. And someone who hasn't even taken the time to get to know you says just awful things about you. And the wounds are internal. A broken heart, bruised pride, shattered relationships, and worst of all, those words echo in your mind over and over and over again. So how did Jesus deal with it? How did he deal with all of the unfair abuse and outright lies and the mocking and the insults? Well, his response was, it was unexpected. It was unexpected. I mean, you might have expected him to respond with righteous anger and to powerfully tell them that they would suffer in hell for all eternity because of their sins. And he could have done that. And you might have expected him to summon the power that he had as God to jump down from the cross and be immediately completely healed and to strike them all dead to prove his power. And he could have done that. Or you might have expected him to loudly proclaim his innocence and the injustice of the whole situation. And he could have done that. But Jesus didn't respond that way. Instead, he responded in a very unexpected way. So let's look first at Jesus' unexpected compassion while dying. Jesus' unexpected compassion while dying. We'll start back a few verses from the others we read, and uh, you will see Jesus' unexpected response. Start with verse 33 of Luke 23. When they came to a place called the skull, the soldiers crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Really? Are you serious? Jesus' response was very simple. In the face of all of the abuse and in the face of all the injustice and the pain, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. His prayer to God after everything he's been through, while he is enduring both physical pain and emotional pain, is this, God, please, let's forgive these people. And I'm sure that those words caused some people to pause what they were doing. I mean, someone nearby must have said, wait, did I hear that right? Did he just ask God to forgive the soldiers who beat him and nailed him to the cross? Did he just ask God to forgive the religious leaders that lied about him and are mocking him? I must be mistaken because that is not what I would expect from a man who's being treated the way that they're treating Jesus. But that was his response. And we can learn a lot from it. I want you to notice several unexpected things about Jesus forgiving people from the cross. First, Jesus forgave people who didn't ask for forgiveness. He forgave people 
who didn't ask for forgiveness. While Jesus was on the cross, only one person will ask for forgiveness, and that is a man hanging on a cross next to him, but, but that hasn't happened yet. It happens after Jesus said, Father, forgive them. In fact, maybe that's why the thief on the cross was comfortable asking for forgiveness. He may have heard Jesus say that, and it's always easier to ask for forgiveness when you think the person is going to grant you forgiveness. But Jesus forgave people who didn't ask for forgiveness. And this is something that you need to notice because there is some teaching out there by a few Christian leaders that says you cannot forgive someone who hasn't acknowledged their sin. You cannot forgive someone who hasn't repented of their sin. And they would point to Luke chapter 17 where Jesus says, if someone sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. And they would stretch that to mean that you can't forgive someone who isn't sorry for their sin. You can't forgive someone that doesn't repent. If they don't forget, for, repent, they would say, you can't forgive. And you know what? When we're hurting, that feels so right. That, that just seems like it ought to be true. I mean... When we're hurting, we want them to admit that they hurt us, to be sorry that they hurt us. And if they were sorry, if they were repentant, we really believe in our heart that we would gladly forgive them. The problem is, if that is a right teaching, that you can only forgive a person who repents and asks for forgiveness, Jesus is ignoring his own rules here. He's ignoring what he said here. You see, those he is forgiving aren't sorry and they haven't repented. They haven't even thought about asking for forgiveness. And there's a positive message here for us. This means that Jesus is ready to forgive me of my sins even before I've thought to ask him to forgive me. He isn't reluctant. He is ready to forgive me even before I ask. So Je Jesus forgave people who hadn't asked to be forgiven. And the next response is even more unexpected. Jesus forgave people while they were hurting him. He forgave people while they were hurting him. The people that Jesus is forgiving from the cross are actively in the process of inflicting pain on him while he is forgiving him. Some scholars think that he said these words while the nails were physically being driven into his hands and into his ankles. Most believe it was while the people were standing at the foot of the cross mocking him and hurling insults and laughing at him. You know, it, it's hard enough for me to forgive people after they've hurt me and after I've processed it a while, but it's even more difficult to forgive them while they're in the midst of inflicting pain. Usually when I'm in the midst of a hurtful situation, my mind is focused on escaping or on stopping the pain. I, I, I want to run. I want to fight back. I, I want to defend. And honestly, forgiving usually doesn't even enter my mind at that point. But while he was in the process of dying to rescue them from their sins and they, while they were actively hurting him, Jesus was actively forgiving them. 
Now, as hard as that is to grasp, don't miss the message. If you are in a situation, and some of you are, where you know that what you're doing in your life is not what Jesus would want you to do, if you are currently actively hurting Jesus by living contrary to what you know he wants you to do, I mean, you know your sin has hurt him and you've kind of pushed him to the side. Don't miss this. Jesus will forgive you even while you are hurting him. Even while you are hurting him. The next one is hard for us too. Jesus forgave people who didn't deserve forgiveness. Now, in our hearts, logically, we kind of understand that no one deserves forgiveness. That really, none of us deserve forgiveness. I mean, it would be absolutely fair for God to say, I want you all to know it's one and done. There are no second chances. You get it right the first time or it's over. And so in that sense, we understand that all forgiveness is undeserved. But isn't it true that there are some things that we think deserve forgiveness and other things that we think never do? I mean, we think of a parent who sometimes uses insensitive words to their kids. We think they deserve forgiveness, but the person who abuses or molests their kids never deserves it. And we think that a person who murders a reputation through gossip deserves forgiveness, but a person who murders a person and actually takes their life doesn't. And, you know, it even gets more complicated than that because we even think that pretty bad sins, even that we're willing to forgive pretty bad sins if we know that the person is a good person. If we know, you know, in their heart, they're not a bad guy, they're, they're a good guy. I mean, we can forgive our grandparents' racism, for example, but not the racism of our coworkers. But Jesus forgave people who did unspeakable things to him he forgave people who didn't deserve it. And that's really good news for me. Because I don't deserve to be forgiven. I mean, there have been many times in my life where I have been sorry for a sin and I have repented of a sin and I have promised God. I have said, I am never going to do that again. I'm never ever going to commit that sin again. I promise, God. And yet I find myself committing that same sin over and over and over. And you know what? I am so glad that Jesus forgives people who don't deserve it. The passage also makes it clear that Jesus forgave people who were ignorant of their sin. That were ignorant of their sin. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now, how could Jesus think they didn't know what they were doing? I, I think he could say that because he recognized that this was a mob scene. And many people say things and do things in a mob that they would never say, that they would never do under normal circumstances. The mob tends to sink to the level of the lowest participant. And part of the reason that they didn't understand what they were doing is because they were following really poor leadership. The religious leaders were leading the mob and they were completely ignoring what Scripture taught about mercy. They were completely ignoring what the Scripture 
scripture teaches about justice and the people were following poor leaders. And some really didn't understand the situation. They, they really didn't know that this crucifixion was different than the rest, that Jesus was innocent and that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah, the rescuer that God had promised to send. And Jesus knew that they didn't know what they were doing, and Jesus loved them in their confusion. He loved them in their confusion, and I'm so thankful for this too, because sometimes I do things, and later when I think them through, I'm horrified because I realized I've sinned or I've inflicted pain or made a choice that was really bad. And some of you struggle with this too, but maybe for a different reason. You, you're just getting to know Jesus. You're just beginning to follow him. And you look back at how you've lived your life. And you're looking back at past choices. And you realize just how sinful your life was. And you're just horrified and shamed by all of your past choices but you really didn't understand that sin at the time. And isn't it great that Jesus forgives people who are ignorant in their sin? Let's look at one more unexpected response from Jesus. Jesus forgave people who were intentional in their sin. I mean, he didn't just die for people who woke up later and realized that they had sinned and that they really didn't know what they were doing. He died to forgive those in that crowd that morning who knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. He died for people who sinned intentionally. And there were people in that crowd who knew Jesus was innocent. There were people that worked to see him killed that knew that he was innocent. Pilate was one of them. He said repeatedly that he knew Jesus was innocent. And some of the religious leaders seemed to know this. I mean... They had seen him do miracles that only God could do, and they had seen one of those just a few hours before. I mean, you remember when they arrested Jesus in the garden, Peter took out a sword and he swung it. He was aiming for the guy's head, but the guy ducked, and he cut off the guy's ear. And Jesus said, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. And he picked up the man's ear, and he put the man's ear back on his head, and when he took his hand away, it was as if nothing had ever happened. The man was completely healed. And religious leaders that were trying to kill Jesus watched that happen and still marched to a sham of a trial where they told lies about Jesus and they still stood at the foot of a cross mocking a dying man. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. And think about that. Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing that they were sinning by choice and by plan, forgave them. He forgave them. And do you know why that's good news? Because sometimes... We have elaborate plans to sin, don't we? I mean, we chart out the lies that we're going to tell to keep us out of trouble. And we make detailed arrangements to meet someone that we shouldn't be meeting. And we arrange a 
designated driver because we plan to get drunk, which scripture says we should not get drunk, but we think that we're drinking responsibly. And the fact is, many times, we're just very intentional about our sin. So I'm glad that Jesus forgives people who sin intentionally. But before we run out of time, I kind of want to flip this coin over to the other side. And let's look at another important lesson that we can glean from this. Let's look at my unexpected requirement while living. We looked at Jesus's unexpected compassion while he was dying, but I have this unexpected requirement while I'm living. While he was dying, Jesus was compassionate and he was forgiving. And this took the people around him by surprise. Have you thought about it? What if Jesus wants people around us to be surprised by our response in hurtful situations? What if he wants our response in hurtful situations to be as shocking and as surprising to the people around us? And, and I know that some of you don't want to hear this, but that's exactly what he expects of you if you're a follower of Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Here's what it says. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Please notice, forgiving like Jesus is a requirement he doesn't just suggest this. He requires it of those of us who claim to follow him, who claim to trust him. And our requirement is that we need to forgive others just like Jesus forgave us. This is not an optional thing for us. If we're serious about Jesus being the leader of our lives, we forgive people who haven't asked and who are hurting us and who don't deserve it, whether we know that what they're doing is intentional or whether we think that they don't know what they're doing. And that isn't easy. That isn't easy, is it? But it might help if we look at some facts to remember first how people respond is not my problem. How people respond when I forgive them is not my problem. When you tell someone that you have decided to forgive them, it may be met with really interesting responses. People may respond with intense anger. They may get really angry. They may get mad because my telling them that I'm going to forgive them is me saying that they did something that needs forgiveness. It's me pointing out that they did something wrong and they don't want to admit it or uh, they may not think that they harmed you and people may respond by making fun of you or by explaining why what they did was really good or the best thing for you. In other words, they may re-injure you while you are forgiving them and you are responsible for granting them forgiveness like Jesus forgave you, but you don't get to control whether they respond in a godly way or a harmful way. And while forgiving, you do what God is asking you to do and realize that their response is not your problem. Secondly, forgiving is not a one-time decision. It's not a one-time decision. Now, Let's pause long enough for me to tell you that I believe forgiveness is a decision, not a feeling. 
It is a decision, not a feeling. If you only forgive when you feel like forgiving, you will never do it. Forgiveness is a decision I make. It is a decision to let that person who hurt me off the hook. It is me deciding to give up my right to hurt you because you hurt me. It is me deciding to give up the right to talk bad about you because you hurt me. And all of that is a decision. Forgiveness is a decision that we make. But it isn't a one-time decision, or at least it isn't for me. I have some people in my life who have hurt me, and that hurt is not yet resolved, though I think I've tried, but they are unwilling. And I have decided to forgive them. And many times since I made the first decision to forgive them, something has happened to re-injure me or to knock the scab off of the wound. And I have decided again and again to forgive the people involved. And by the way, I think that is no longer a scab. I think it's just a scar now. But I wish it was a one-time thing. But at least for me, forgiving isn't a one-time decision. And the next one's going to help some of you who are really struggling to forgive. So please hear me clearly. Forgiveness and reconciliation are separate decisions. Forgiveness and reconciliation are separate decisions. Now, sometimes the person who harmed you asks for your forgiveness, and they seem to expect things to go back to normal as if nothing ever happened. In the situation that I mentioned that I've been dealing with for several years, this is the case. I've honestly decided to forgive the people who have hurt me, and I would love to see that relationship reconciled, and I would fly across the country tomorrow uh, if they were willing to work on reconciliation But you see, they have a different idea. They seem to just want to completely ignore the hurt and move back into relationship as if it's never happened. Now, write this down because it isn't in your notes. Forgiveness is based on grace and a decision, but reconciliation is based on repentance. Forgiveness is based on grace and a decision to give grace. Reconciliation is is based on repentance. I can forgive someone whether they repent or not, but if I'm going to have a close relationship with them, there needs to be repentance. And this is important because every abuser that I know won't agree with what I just said. Every abusive person that I have ever had in my office in a counseling situation or that I've talked to or I've talked to somebody that they love, every abuser that I know will say, well, I thought you forgave me. If you forgave me, we don't need counseling. If you really forgave me, we don't need to talk about it anymore. If you forgave me, I don't need to go to Revolution, our Celebrate Recovery ministry. It should just be like it never happened because you said you forgave me. Now, folks, that is not forgiveness. That is a recipe for living in a horrible, dysfunctional relationship. I can forgive someone just like Jesus did without reconciling my relationship with him. In fact, if you think about it, That is how Jesus forgave. He uh, offers forgiveness to all. He died to forgive everyone, but only those who respond to him in faith and repentance and turn to him for help receive his gift of eternal life. 
He waits for us to turn to him. He waits for us to trust in him. He waits for us to repent before we're reconciled with him. So forgiving and reconciliation are two separate decisions. Another fact that we need to see is this. Forgiving benefits me more than them. Forgiving benefits me more than them. One of the hard things we struggle with when we try to forgive is that we feel like forgiving them just lets them off the hook. But the truth of the matter is, when I forgive, it lets me off the hook. It lets me off the hook. Sure, forgiveness is a compassionate thing to do for the person that you forgive, but it's even more compassionate towards you for you to decide to forgive. Have you realized yet, and I know it's really frustrating and you hate this, have you realized yet that while you are holding your grudge, while you're seething in bitterness, you are suffering far more than the person you're refusing to forgive? Have you realized that yet? I mean, most times they're sleeping well. (laughs) They're not thinking about you or about how they hurt you or about what happened with you and you're losing sleep and you're really upset and you're uh, going through all of these gymnastics to arrange your schedule so you never run into them and it's affecting you far more than it is them. Nelson Mandela said, refusing to forgive is like drinking poison and then waiting for it to kill your enemy. It's like you drinking poison and then being surprised when it doesn't kill your enemy. Forgiving frees you. It allows your heart to heal and for the wounds to heal and for you to move forward. It benefits you more than them. Lastly, refusing to forgive is spiritually dangerous. It's spiritually dangerous. I hate this one. But I love you and I'm committed to telling you the truth. So I have to tell you, refusing to forgive is spiritually dangerous. And I have known too many people who have just outright said, I will never forgive. I will never, ever forgive. I remember one lady saying, if I have to forgive that person in order to go to heaven, I would rather go to hell. And I know she was hurting when she said it. But I had to explain that refusing to forgive was really dangerous spiritually. Let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Now, to be honest, I don't completely understand the theology of this because God has promised to forgive all of our sins, but I understand the heart of this, and I have to underscore how dangerous it is to decide to refuse to forgive because forgiving, it's at the heart of who Jesus is. Forgiving is the heart of of who Jesus is, and if we claim to follow him, if we claim to live for him, if we claim to let him lead us, we have to become like him, even, no, especially in this area of forgiving. Now, we could talk about these things for hours and weeks, but 
there's another subject that we really don't have time to cover in detail, but I don't want to overlook it completely. I mean, we talked about how wonderful Jesus' forgiveness is, and it is, how expansive and how great it is, and it is, and, but I don't want to make it sound like it's okay for you to sin intentionally because you know that Jesus will forgive you. I mean, I don't want anyone to misunderstand. Some might think, this is a pretty sweet deal. I mean, I love to sin, and Jesus loves to forgive. So maybe I should sin a lot so Jesus can forgive a lot. No. We could spend hours talking about how we can and how we should overcome sin and break out of the sin traps that we are in, but I don't want to make this about how you can try harder. Not this time. I want to make it about how you should be more aware and how uh, God has forgiven you so much. I want you to be aware of his forgiveness. I want you to focus on how wonderful and unexpected Jesus' forgiveness is for you. Not for the people at the foot of the cross. Not for the person sitting next to you. But I want you to focus on how wonderful his forgiveness is for you. He forgives us when we haven't asked. He forgives us while we're still actively hurting him and while we don't deserve to be forgiven. And he forgives us whether we're ignorant or intentional in our sin. And I want us to really understand how wonderful God's forgiveness is in our lives because when we really understand his forgiveness in our lives, two things begin to happen. First, we begin to get rid of the sin in our lives when we understand God's forgiveness. You see, understanding forgiveness makes me want to stop sinning. The Bible says that his kindness and his forgiveness leads us to repentance. When we realize how much he has forgiven us, it makes us turn away from sin and start living his way. It isn't fear that makes us do that. It isn't shame that makes us stop sinning. It is really understanding Jesus's love for us and forgiveness for us. His kindness leads us to change our life. But the second thing that happens when I really focus on how much God has forgiven me is I begin to forgive others. I begin to forgive others. We begin to say, you know, if God can forgive me, if Jesus would go through all of that to forgive me, I can forgive the people who have hurt me. And I pray that our lives will be revolutionized by understanding forgiveness and granting forgiveness. And I pray that the people around us will begin to be shocked that they'll be surprised by how we offer them forgiveness.